Welcome to the Underwater Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of underwater portrait photography, cinematography, and everything in between. With me, your host, Brett Stanley. Welcome back to the Underwater Podcast. And for episode 14, I'm chatting with Australian hero makeup artist Rick Findlater about his experiences working on films like Pirates of the Caribbean and The Impossible, a true story about the devastating tsunami in Thailand back in 2004. He also tells me about his time working on the Jacques Cousteau biopic, The Odyssey, which took him all around the world, including Africa and Antarctica. It's a beautiful film and I really recommend it. Rick also covers some of his techniques he uses to keep wigs on in heavy water scenes, dealing with the colour-changing issues of prosthetics in cold water, and the stress of having divers go searching for a lost wig. Alright, let's dive in. Rick, welcome to the Underwater Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Where are you at the moment? I mean, I know you're based in Australia. Are you in Australia at the moment? Yeah, I'm currently on the Gold Coast, which is on the east side of Australia, about 25 minutes south of Brisbane. And how are things there? Are you are you guys under quarantine? Australia's probably opening up a bit now, is it? Not as much as New Zealand, but it is everything's starting to relax. For example, before I took this call with you guys, you know, you're at a cafe, there must be 50 people there. I'm not sure what their rules are of, you know, separation but it seemed like things are getting back to normal fairly quickly uh, you guys didn't really lock down as hard as we did here in the states i don't think retail and stuff was still open yeah it kind of was literally other than any kind of social service business like a restaurant or but you know whatever else everybody yeah. else just went to delivery and i'm sure uber eats has made a fortune out of this oh yeah i think it's the, it's the time to be an uber eats driver i think absolutely and how did it affect the industry there? I know, you know, Australia does a lot of international productions, but did everything kind of get shut down? Yes, and it was all a little bit strange. Like we knew a little bit of a lead in to what was potentially coming up because one of the members of the crew had had a baby recently and had just called a general common cold. But um, we were about to film with a huge amount of extras all in full hair, makeup. It was pretty extensive. And then that they literally didn't make it to set because this one integral, this one person that was totally integral to the production had been stood down for a two-week thing pending the results, which came back negative. But that was a good kind of lead-in for us. So, you know, the alarm bells went up. And then I think within three or four days, we had stored all our stuff and most of us were back on planes wherever we're going. Yeah, and I know the U.S. contingency was probably got one of the last planes out back to the States. Oh, okay. So no, no one got stuck there. Everyone got out. Nobody got stuck there, but I think there was also, for those that had come in from overseas, the production was very nice and just said to them, uh, we'll accommodate you here if that's your choice. So I kind okay. of wish that they just made everybody stay and then I'd be back at work by now. Yeah. Well, I have heard that where, and I think in Australia, actually, a production basically quarantined in a small country town and they kept filming. They did, and they, there was a really good article in Variety magazine on it, and they basically self-quarantined within the large group, whatever it was. It wasn't such a yeah. big film crew, but um, they very successfully completed the project with with no cases. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, That's really good. Really good. Good job. And how do you see things going forward? I mean, Australia's, I think you didn't have many cases to start with, but are you going to start opening up 
full productions soon internationally or is it only local productions? How's that going to work? You know, I think because Avatar, for those that don't know, that's shooting in New Zealand, um, has just recommenced filming. So they brought everybody in from overseas that they needed to. And the producers are saying, you know, they only brought in the absolute people that were vital to the production. So it wasn't like they just said, yeah, let's go again. And then I've seen quite a few photos online of my colleagues all wearing those big kind of medical grade, you know, full plastic shields around their face and stuff. So it's definitely going to change everything, but I, it's just an unusual time. I have to say, I haven't minded the downtime at all. Like, no, but, but now it's time to kind of kick back into things. Yeah. I think a lot of people I speak to in the industry have kind of been like, you know, it's nice to actually not be able to work and not have to worry about it. Like to yeah. just sit down and do nothing or yeah. renovate your house or whatever. Yeah. There's nothing like not working when you've been told not to work. It's different if you should work and yeah, can work. Yeah. Because the guilt is there, but the guilt's the been guilt. taken away. There's yeah. always the guilt. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So let's talk a little bit of your, your career. I know you, you've been in the industry for quite a while now. And in terms of working with water, and I know that, you know, like a makeup artist and a hairstylist is not a specifically underwater hair and makeup artist, but you do deal with water and, you know, the issues that come with it. Where did you kind of come across that first in your career? Well, funnily enough, one of the very first things that I ever did was a TV show called Flipper. So, yeah, I'm not even going to say what year that was, but it was a long time ago. Not the original Uh, Flipper, surely. No, no, I'd be dead. (laughs) No offence to anybody on Flipper that isn't dead. No, it was the second second reboot they did and they shot it on the Gold Coast. So, of course, it was all water-based. So that was kind of my introduction to makeup and hair in combination with water. Right. And how did you find that? Was it, you know, coming from whatever training you had, was there a bit of a, a learning curve to make things work in the water? Oh, absolutely. And even, you know, the makeup and hair industries come along enormously product-wise in the last 20 years. Like when I started, it literally was still kind of a variation of a grease paint. It was just a bit thinner than what they used to use on theatre. So it was very limited. And then there was the introduction of these things called ink palettes that are activated with an isopropyl alcohol, but they're extremely durable and perfect for any kind of underwater stuff. Oh, okay. So that they're like a hard palette and then you basically mix that yeah. with the ISO? That's it. So you just it comes out like just this flat dried palette with the colours in, and then you just pour in a tiny little bit of isopropyl alcohol, which then activates the whole thing into a liquid which you can use with a paintbrush or, or any kind of makeup brush that you want. Right. And so then going from, from Flipper, what, what was the next kind of big production you did that you did a lot of underwater? I'm kind of, I went from, in my startup years, I went from that to a thing called Tales of the South Seas, which was another remake. I then did a, another thing called a TV movie called Mermaids, which you can imagine was all underwater. Yeah. I did look that one up and it looked very, very 2004. Yeah, so it was still there. But I remember one of the funniest things that ever, ever happened was we were on a film, I'm not going to mention the actor, but the he was wearing a hairpiece and he had to do a jump off a boat, probably off the second floor of the boat, into the ocean, surface up into a close-up and Bob's your uncle, it was all going to be great. So I said to the hair person, are we okay? Is everything locked on? We don't need to lose anything here. So sure enough, the actor jumps off the boat, 
dives down about, I don't know, three or four metres and surfaces with no hair. Oh, well, God. We then had to send the divers to the bottom of the ocean, which, again, wasn't <laughs> that deep, looking for this hairpiece because we didn't have another one. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I've all, ever since then, I've learned to pay attention when you've got hair and makeup and water combined. Right. Yeah. So what would you have done differently there? What, what have you learnt from that in terms of getting a wig to stay on in those kind of circumstances? I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned right. that I've learned a few clips doesn't quite cope with it. So what yeah. you have to do is make sure that there's a secure base on the actor's head. And most of the time nowadays what we do is we will apply a prosthetic glue to the actor's head. We'll put on another, it's called a bald cap. So it's this, you can make actors look bald with this particular kind of rubberized plastic. And then now I would glue and fasten the wig or the hairpiece to to that actual plastic. So it's pretty much foolproof now, but then not so much. Right. Because you did a film that was, and I saw it, I haven't seen the actual film, but I saw the the clip of it, which is, it's The Impossible, which is the film about the the tsunami in 2004. And there's a scene in that where Naomi Watts is basically hit by the tsunami and is, you know, through the washing machine. What has she got on there? Is she is she wearing any wig or anything, hairpiece? Yeah, she's wearing a full wig. And that was probably the most terrifying experience of my life because to film that all those underwater sequences, we went to Spain and we shot in a city called Alicante. And within that, I had put the wig on the first time, having now known what I knew from the previous experience of losing the hairpiece, that we had to secure it quite well. I didn't really change too much, but Naomi would then be put into this tank that if you can imagine on the bottom of the tank, they built like a railway track. And within the railway track, they put these little cups that sat on the track. So the, the actors would dive down, secure their feet into the bottom of these cups, and then they'd be dragged at force, oh. right through through the tank. So they'd be passing all the art department stuff, things would be hitting her in the head, blah, 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 blah. all rubber, of course. But the first time I set her wig at the end of the tank, I ran down to where she was going to surface after all this. I just closed my eyes. <laughs> and so finally she got to the end of the tank, she came up and the wig was on. Oh, and nice. I was like, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Because for the whole film, I had one wig, but yeah. Human hair wigs at the front have a lace base that they then put in one hair at a time. They're very expensive. And to to just double kind of lock that in, I made sure that I left the lace at least like maybe an inch long. And then I changed the glue that you used to stick down the lace to the skin with. So I didn't have too many problems. But within that film, there were lots of scenes that she'd be under the water and then she would surface up into a close-up. So there was nowhere to hide with any of it. But I think the result was really good. And, Brett, you should mm-hmm. see the film. It's fantastic. I've been meaning to. It's one of those things. But I think it. I think it, the idea of it freaks me out. And even watching that clip the other day was like, oh, man, that's intense. It's an intense film, but it's a true story. Yeah, I think that's what freaks me out the most is that these people went <laughs> yeah. through this. You know, I mean, it's yeah. one thing talking about a wig staying on, but seeing all the crap that she was being thrown through and that's, you know, true story and that's real life, Yeah, that I think was so confronting. But, yeah, I do need to see it. So <laughs> so if you've got a wig like that, so generally, and, you know, my wife is a hairstylist, so I yep. know a little bit about wigs. And generally if you're using a, a lace front wig, you're trying to hide that lace as much as you can so the camera doesn't pick it up, right? 
Yeah, well, the whole, I think the thing with wigs is that you're not supposed to know they're wigs. Yeah. So we do our best to conceal the fact that anybody's wearing a wig ever. That, that's, that's primarily our objective. So the point, and normally on dry land, you can attend to these things and you can add a bit more glue and you can really make the lace disappear. I mean, this system of wearing wigs has been around for 100 years. So we've all done it the same way, but the yeah. products have become a little better. So in those circumstances, when you're on land, you have access to them all the time. But once they're underwater, there's hardly anything, well, there's nothing you can do. So you kind of have to get it right the first time because, as you know, filming is a very expensive thing to do. And if you as a hair and makeup artist is taking too much time, that's then costing them money and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, totally. And so when you're... In a situation like that where you've got a wig that you've, you know, you've left a bit of the lace in there to hold it on for that one shot, do you then trim that back for the for the, the close-up shots that come later or are you just hiding it a lot better? No, I just had to hide it a lot better. I used ended up using a product called Matthew Mungle is the artist's name and he makes this spirit gum adhesive that kind of has a bit of clay in it or something. So I t- used right. that and I found that the less I touched the wig, the better. But at the same stage, you have to have an actor or an actress that is aware that you're trying to make something fake look like something real and that there are limitations like Naomi would know never to put her hands on her face or do any of that sort of stuff. So she she was fantastic in helping me get that across the line. Yeah. And I guess the more that she buys into it, the more it's it sells it as well, I guess. 100%. I, I, particularly with that film, I think when people go, they say, oh, you did The Impossible. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what were you there for? I'm like, oh, she's wearing a wig the entire thing. And they're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she's in a wig the entire film. They're like, oh, my God. And so from that point, so why is she wearing a wig? Is it because the, the character needed to have a certain length of hair or she just didn't have the hair at the right length? Or was it an artistic decision? No, it's kind of Naomi's decision. Until an actor or an actress actually gets a good wig in some good hands, most people are nervous of the result. One, I had worked with Naomi twice before and same thing, always in wigs. But mainly the actresses will use a wig if they don't want their own hair damaged. Right. Which I think is always a good idea. And, um, you know, sometimes it's too short or the director could say, I need it longer. But if you cut the actor's hair, then you go into a situation of extensions and I didn't want to have to deal with that underwater. That would have been a disaster because one of the extensions got caught on something would have just ripped her hair out. So the only problem I ever had because we were in the water so long, the pins that I had used to, because when you do a wig, you get their own hair and you wrap it around the head so it's dead flat. So it should look like a hair skull cap kind of thing. Yeah. But the pins that I had used to secure the hair, of course, we were in salt water, had started to rust. And I then had to recolor her hair, take these blinding oh, no. rust, rust marks out of her head. <laughs> That's not something I've ever thought of. And I, you know, I work a lot with wigs in water as well. But usually yep. those pins aren't, you know, aren't in there for that long. I yeah. usually just leave rust stains on the bottom of my my pool. But <laughs> yeah, uh, got you. For it to have coloured the hair, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, that was definitely something nobody was happy with. <laughs> yeah. So going from from wigs, have you had to do stuff underwater with, with prosthetics? Yes. I'm just kind of, I think, obviously the Odyssey, I don't know whether it was a film I did about Jacques Cousteau, who was the underwater documentarian. And is an amazing film, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was really happy with it. 
Thank you. So anyway, we had a whole family that was aging and Lombert Wilson, who plays the lead, had full face prosthetics. Yeah, full face prosthetics and a wig. So it just didn't get any worse in that right. in that film. <laughs> I think I was saying to Jamie Lee the other day that we at one stage had Lombe was in the water with his son that was also in a beard, a wig, a prosthetics and a mustache. And for those of you that kind of don't know what a diving apparatus looks like, it's a full mask and this really big, strange looking regulator that goes in the mouth. Well, if you've got a mustache or a beard or anything, they can be quite damaging and often lift off the whole setup. Yeah. But we were in Cape Town shooting off some island in the middle of nowhere, and we're both in Zodiacs, the support team. So there was a, I was in the other one, and I've got both the actors in the water, in the open ocean, doing this whole scene. Because they were in so many wetsuits, it was so cold, their body was heating up, but, of course, the prosthetics, which is a silicon, doesn't change colour. Right. So oh. what? Yeah, we were getting this horrible kind of mottled effect where you could see these bright red lines around these prosthetics that were staying this horrible kind of greeny grey colour. So here's me having somebody hang onto my legs as I'm bent over the front of one of those inflatable zodiacs, trying to adjust <laughs> this prosthetic colour while the actors are overheating, even though they're in freezing cold water. I've got masks where the actors are trying to take them off above their heads so the wigs are lifting. Let's just say it was not a good day to be on the water. No, it was that pretty sounds like crazy. a nightmare. Yeah. Well, it got a bit more crazy when three humpback whales decided they should come and have a look. Oh, really? I don't know if anybody's been up close to them. But they are enormous. Like their tails are probably half the length of the boat. Yeah. And um, our South African, I don't know, dive supervisor was like, okay, we're just going to give this another 10 minutes because it looks like they're getting a bit pissed off that we're in their domain kind of thing. Right. But, um, yeah, you'd turn around and you'd have this whale like looking up at you and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not getting in that water. How far away from you were they? Oh, half a metre. Oh, so they were really interested. They were coming to check it out. No, they were really interested. They'd, they'd kind of come up half under the boat, which would then rock the boat a bit. I, I think they were just curious as to what was going on and why there was so much attention on these two guys in the water that obviously looked like seals anyway. Right. Yeah. In their wetsuit and flippers and stuff. Well, at least it was humpbacks and not, not killer whales. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really interesting with the prosthetics because I hadn't really thought about the, the body temperature changing and the prosthetics not not matching. How do you, I don't know, have you had issues of that in other situations? Like does it depend on the what the prosthetic is made of? No, because unless the prosthetic is obviously, you know, it's just a, it's a basic plastic to be really blunt about it. But the only way to change the colour is with inks or something that's, you know, sits on top, like we can't inject it with anything. Once it's pre-coloured, it's pre-coloured. Yeah. But you'll have you'll have these problems on land if you're going to that film also, even though we we're in Cape Town, we also went to the Antarctic and shot. Yeah. I had exactly the same problem about that. And we I remember them we sailed into the Antarctic into this gorgeous bay and they had a whole heap of floating ice around and the director's like, Okay, we're gonna shoot over there and I was like, Where? There and I'm like, But that's not even land. I'm like, Okay, here we go. Oh. So literally I have a photo of a very small film crew on this floating piece of flat ice, thank God, yeah. with, with the actor diving, getting in and out, back up onto, the, onto this floating ice. And 
then that's when I have to go in all the time and adjust the color because it just it will change by the minute. Oh, okay. Yeah. And is it easy enough for you to, to change? Like, can you take off the color and put a new color on or are you kind of adding on all the time? That depends. A lot of people like to seal their prosthetics to keep the stuff on. I tend to like to not seal them so I can make those adjustments all day long if I want. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you do seal them, it does become problematic. So you better make sure you get the color perfect from the start. Right. Yeah. Is there a difference between how you do stuff, whether you're in like a chlorinated tank as opposed to like salt water outdoors? I'll tell you what, the, when it comes to chlorinated stuff, it's more about wig color change because chlorine, as you know, will bleach a lot of things. It will yeah. also send a lot of things green. So if you've got an actress that's in a blonde wig, you have to really monitor that the color change is not happening all the time. Also, I find that if you're in a chlorinated pool, colors read dull down a lot more than they do in salt water. I don't know why that is. Oh, right. Yeah. But I'm always tending to bump up the color in chlorinated pools. Salt water usually reads a bit more true to life. Oh, interesting. Is it, is it yeah. maybe because of the, the actual sunlight as opposed to you know, whatever lighting they've set up for the tank? Well, I think most of the time, like if you're shooting in open water, nobody's pool looks like the ocean, do you know what I mean? Like most pools yeah. have always got that horrible – overly saturated blue color yeah and blue on anybody's skin never looks any good so you've always got to pump up the red so i think predominantly that's where that comes in but like i said as well the chlorine can have a, you know, a horrible effect on people's skin when, when we're talking about this too is i don't do things where it's like a one or two day shoot normally they're in the water for up to a week doing complicated scenes the actor will often have to come to the surface and hang on to a one of those pool noodles or something and get their breath. And then I will be in a support boat waiting to do whatever I need to do right. to get in and make the changes. Yeah. And do you have a preference for like, which one do you enjoy more in tanks or open water? It's always that little bit more controlled in a tank. And you know that once, you know, you leave base camp, if you're going to shoot on the ocean, you're not coming back for maybe 10 or 12 hours. The other thing with working with water in those locations, you know, it's one of the facilities like on the boat. You have to take enough spare stuff because you're not going to be able to get anything sent out. And it always looks epic, so I do like the open ocean, but mm. I like the I like the ease of working in a contained tank. I remember we did a, I did a prosthetic on Orlando Bloom for the last Pirates of the Caribbean, and that was interesting because he started underwater and then came to the surface. And we had to test that quite a few times. I almost had to do like an underwater makeup and then have to change the colors once he got onto the surface because he had half a face full of crustaceans and stuff why why would it change was it just the the difference between the the light going through the depth of the water or was it the water itself was changing the color of it it was a bit of the water itself because it was quite green and then once he got up onto the boat it was it was it was all at night so the lighting within the boat was quite cold looking you know they put those gray kind of lights on to give it that night effect so that was kind of, it was supposed to look like it was, um, crustaceans are like bone basically. So it was supposed to have this bony effect, but when he got out of the water, that kind of changed a fair bit. So we had to manipulate that. Did you end up having to do a separate makeup for the, for the water as opposed to the dry? No, luckily enough within the scene, there was a cut point where as he rises up out of the water, it then cuts to the actor he's acting with, which right. was his, I think it was his son. So this is the beauty about filmmaking is that when you know that they're going to be on somebody else, you get that amount of time then to go in and make your adjustment so that by the time they come back around and they shoot him, 
you've already made the adjustment, but nobody's seen where it's taken place. And right. you're supposed to do it well enough that nobody can tell other than you, basically. Yeah, and that's the skill of it, really, isn't it? Making it seem seamless. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. We hope. Yeah, when you get prosthetics made or when you get wigs made, are you are you letting them know that they're going to be used in water, or does it not particularly matter? No, always. Um, mainly with the wigs, because if you can imagine when people are making a wig, it's like making a carpet. So everybody's, you know, most people know they did it in school, you know, that basic knotting thing where you do it with a crochet hook and you do one at a time and you make a little knot. Well, if you can imagine it on a wig, every hair is put in one at a time. So it can take up to three or four weeks to get made. Now, within those knots, what they can do is instead of just doing a single tie on the knot, if they're going underwater, I always ask for a double knot because oh. the knot, the knots itself will – hair expands and contracts when it's wet or dry. This is human hair as opposed to synthetic. Yeah, human yeah. hair. So what happens is those knots will eventually become loose. And because of the motion underwater, you know, it's that soft kind of billowy thing, it just tends to um, loosen all these little knots that's holding their hair to this framework of the wig cap loose. Right. So if you, double, if you double knot them, it's a lot easier and you get a bit more longevity out of them. Oh, that's interesting. And that's something I would never have thought of is having it done at that base level to keep yep. those hairs in. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to do whatever you can to keep those hairs in and on her head. Yeah. And I think anyone who's ever been on an underwater shoot or an underwater um, production, the amount of hair that ends up floating around the pool or the tank yep. is quite horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. Hair, and hair for you must be a tricky one too because I know it's – I know a lot of times I've asked the divers to take down like a – a small propeller or something or a fan so that when they're shooting on the actor, I can get them to turn it on and create a current that flows towards them. It's yeah. a bit like being in a fan on land. So it's blowing the hair back. Yeah. But I remember a couple of times I was getting in so much trouble because the hair was getting into her face and not through anything that I had done. It was just through the motion of the water. I think the current was going the wrong way and they'd had to, they have to face them a particular way because of the light. And then, so I just said, can you please take one of those, I don't know what they're called, little submersibles down and just blow the water towards her, which fixed the problem straight away. Yeah, it's like having the leaf blower or the, yeah. the wind machine kicking their yep. hair up and stuff. Yeah. Yep. I mean, hair underwater is, it's it, it's a nightmare, but when it works, it's amazing. It's, a, like, it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you something about hair and underwater was um, Pirates of the Caribbean, where I work with your lovely wife on. We yeah. had Javier Bardem plays the lead character, Captain Salazar. And what they did was they got us to take a couple of wigs and secure them on a headlock, which is this cork kind of thing shaped like a head. So you pin the wig under the block. They then took the block underwater into a green screen environment. So they just green out a pool or use a blue pool. Yeah. And then they just filmed the hair moving around in the water. And so through the whole time through the film, when you see uh, Javier Salazar in Pirates, Dead Man Tell No Tell, he had no hair on his head ever. Oh, so he was like a bald cap when you were shooting. Yeah. Complete bald cap with just dots on. And they put yeah. the wig on after just so they could get the movement, which I thought was genius. And so did they take that wig down and film just for reference or was the was that footage used in the in the final? No, I think they asked us to um, give them one of his wigs so they so I don't know how much they reference it or whether they mapped out the hair or something, but it looked pretty good, I thought. I was just fascinated that they could do that at all. I thought it was amazing. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that film when it came out and Jamie had 
given me a bit of an idea what was happening with with Javier's you know kind of look. Yeah. But then seeing him step step onto the ship for the first time and then going, is his hair is his <laughs> yeah. still moving? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, he's good. That's amazing. Yeah. And have you done a lot of that sort of thing, like where it is that sort of special effects based kind of look for underwater stuff? Well, not so much, I think, other than like that TV movie Mermaids where you change some stuff up. But I've never had to do any more than just uh, facial prosthetics or maybe it's a you know bite mark or something from whatever it is underwater. But you don't usually yeah. – there's not that much for it. I tell you why is because – unless it's factual or historical like the impossible or the odyssey underwater shooting is very very slow and very very expensive so yeah. i think studios would prefer it if you know the script writers didn't write too much stuff in so then it doesn't yeah. lead to much scope for us yeah, i think true. that that whole thing with remember waterworld with um, kevin costner kevin costner gene triplehorn that blew yeah. out that doubled its budget because the problems they had shooting in water. Yeah, and that was a huge. I recently spoke to the the underwater DP for that. And ah, yeah, yeah. He had lots of insight on on that, and it was it was a huge film uh, yep. in terms of extras and cast and crew and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, and even like Avatar, the new ones. I think I can't even imagine how long it's taking them to shoot those those kind of scenes that are mostly underwater for those who yep. don't know the new avatar coming out is is mostly set on a on a water world so they're doing a lot of uh underwater motion capture okay i didn't know that yeah so instead of doing the motion capture like they do normally in a in a mocap studio james cameron's actually got them doing motion capture under the water because he totally has a fascination with everything under the water yeah he does james cameron yeah, yeah. yeah. he'd be a good one for your podcast Oh, can you imagine trying to get James Cameron on here? That would be pretty he cool. po- I reckon he'd probably love it because it's totally, it's it's his jam. Yeah. It really yeah. is. I need to find someone who has an in, in with James. Well, I might be able to help you out with that. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep talking, Rick. Let's yeah, okay. <laughs> when the record button is off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for you, in terms of, I mean, we're talking about shooting what they call dry for wet which is, you know, when they kind of fake that it's underwater. Yeah. There was a bit of that in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, wasn't there, where they had built underwater sets but they were dry? Yes, correct. And then that's when they would put in the hair and stuff just to, like, sell the whole thing. But um, when we do dry for wet, it's more about costumes and just keeping the skin. Like, if you're completely underwater, skin doesn't look wet. Skin only looks wet when you're above the water and it's been wet. So for us, as long as it's got a nice sheen on it and then it's up to the CGI guys to do whatever they want to do with the hair, whether it's a wind machine or they slow it down on post or blah, blah, blah. But yeah. then I know that the costume department ha- has to work double time as soon as they do wet for dry, dry for wet. Yeah, right. And do you have to do anything for the skin? Because, I mean, once you go under the water, you kind of, you know, the, the colours start to dull a bit, the warm colours kind of disappear a bit. Do you need to kind of dull down their skin or is that a post thing that's a post thing pretty much and speaking of post and underwater stuff i remember i just had an experience where i shot in toronto and in regards to film and stuff and tv or whatever the the level of technology is crazy because i could walk up and then say to the dop oh you know i think you know what that's a brown wig i've got on her and it's reading too red and they'll be like 
what? I'm like, it really does read red on camera. You just go over to the DAT operator who then would adjust one little control and the wig would be back to brown. Oh. Yeah. yeah it's So it's so really. grading it on set as they're going. They're grading it as they're going. That, that must make things a lot easier for you. What would you do if, if that wasn't the case, if you came across a wig that was not looking, not reading the right color? Is it, did you have to go back and recolor it or? No, fingers no, that would, I would just go and see the DOP and then I'd go and see the gaffer and I'm just like, is there anything you can do to help me out? Then the next step is, is it is it a filter that they put on the camera that's doing that or is it the processing within right. the computers? So there's a whole heap of things. And luckily enough, you know, everybody wants a good result. So it's also extremely distracting that if they've seen her in another scene and she's got brown hair and all of a sudden she's in the next room and it's red, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it takes them out of the out of the yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah, completely. So for you, with this kind of career, have you got? I mean, you probably told me the stories already, but do you have any kind of horror stories of of things that that have happened when working with water? <laughs> I mean, apart from your actor coming up bald. Oh, look, there's been heaps of times when you've just. It's not a horror story for me, but it's been horrific to watch that you know. You'll have an actor underwater. It's not necessarily makeup or hair at all, but you have an actor underwater, but you've got the scuba divers at either side, they then have to take some air, do the scene, and then get to the other support diver to get more air so they can stay submerged under for as long as possible. And I've seen a couple of beauties where, you know, they just almost never made it to the other side. Oh, <laughs> You're just right, like, yeah. this is not going to be good. But as far as hair and makeup stuff, I don't think so. I mean, I've had people, you know, their mask has torn their nose off or or their moustache is floating around and the fish is eating it somewhere and I've had to put another one on or <laughs> right. there's been all those sorts of things. Or or you'll get the actor and they've wrapped them for the day and all of a sudden they walk in with their wig in their hand and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that just came right off. Yeah, that's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's done. Thank you. And, and what about the most exciting thing you've done in terms of water? Oof. Um, that you're really proud of. I think, look, I really like the Odyssey film. That I thought it was amazing and i've got to say most of my breathtaking moments you know have been on the water like to sail around the antarctic with a film crew and be put into you know getting out onto they call it sheet ice and you'll be in the middle of a film you know doing this highly dramatic scene with people in prosthetics and wigs yet they're all covered up in these clothes and all of a sudden you've got this emperor penguin just decides to jump out of the ocean and come over and check out what you're doing (laughs) which by the way I'm five foot six and it was almost as tall as me. Oh, really? They are huge. Wow. You're like David Attenborough, you're not doing him any justice at all. They're massive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but I've also been, you know, trying to get back into the the small boats, the little dinghies that took you back to the main ship. And we were stuck between two sheets of ice that was closing in on us. And you can oh. see the boat start to fold keeping in mind that you can survive in that water with no protective gear for about 90 seconds which is yeah that's a fairly long time yeah on enough yeah. time to hopefully get you to some rescue if, yeah. if the orcas don't eat you first yeah, that's true all the penguins all the penguins that's awesome rick just all that kind of information has been really really cool and hearing about you know all the things that that you have to take into account when you when you're working with water on set. Have you got um, anything coming up? I know the COVID's probably put the the kibosh on a lot of this, but anything exciting coming up? Well, currently I'm in halfway shooting the last Marvel film, 
until we've been stood down. So I'm just waiting to resume to go back onto that. And then after that, who knows? Yeah. But I, I, I do like those quirky films that, you know, the things like The Odyssey, but you really do have to watch The Impossible. Just get a box of tissues when you do it. Yeah, I think that might be on the cards for tonight, actually. I'll, uh, Great. I'll, I'll <laughs> sit Jamie down. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Rick. It's been awesome to have a chat with you. No worries. Anytime. Thank you, man. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you'd like to connect with us or just learn more about my guests, you can hit our website at theunderwaterpodcast.com or on Instagram or Facebook. Also check out our regular live streams on YouTube. Links will be in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about my underwater photography workshops and mentoring, you can find me at brettstanley.com. The Underwater Podcast is presented and produced by me, Brett Stanley, and our music is Neo by Oh Boy. Keep creating, everyone. I'll see you in the water.